Welcome back to the Charlotte Angel Connection, the Charlotte area podcast linking entrepreneurs, investors, and the broader Charlotte community. As you know, our goal here is to interview the individuals who are building, shaping, and influencing entrepreneurship in the Charlotte region so you can stay invested in Charlotte's growth. Today we have a special show. It's the 150th episode of the Charlotte Angel Connection and super excited to bring to you David Jones. Many of you know David as the founder of Peak 10. Um, Peak 10 eventually merged um, and became Flexential. Um, David left in 2016, has stayed on board in some capacity, but happy to bring David on board today and talk about some of his experience running uh, Peak 10, a lot of experience in life before and after running it and then as some of you may know and some of you will soon find out david had a a life-altering life-changing health event last year and we walked through the lessons that he learned during that or i guess probably more appropriately the the concepts that he'd learned through life and were able to apply back to the challenges that he was going through at the time. So super riveting um, podcast. I mean, it's a phenomenal way to celebrate our 150th, uh, to have a chance to sit down and talk with uh, an entrepreneur as successful and as still tied to the Charlotte community, the Charlotte startup community is. So without much else to say, please enjoy today's 150th podcast with David Jones, founder of Peak 10. David, welcome to the podcast. I'm super excited to um, to finally kick this discussion off. We've been back and forth for a while now, and now we get to dig into it and have a little bit of fun. So thanks so much for joining us today. Certainly, William. Thank you. So as you know, we traditionally ask our guest to give us a little bit of a background on who they are. I'm going to make the general assumption that most of our lovely listeners are aware of David Jones, founder of Peak 10. Um, so rather than give us the way back history, why don't you give us just a little bit of an update of what you've been up to since you've walked away as president? Sure. Well, I guess to give you a little preamble to that, um, the last time I, we sold the company, we sold it twice. It was an, again to private equity. And when they acquired the company at the end of 2014, the question was, um, do you want, you know, what do you want to do? And I've always been fortunate to have that question posed to me because typically because of the team we built in that company. And um, I said, well, you're asking that for one of two reasons. One, I'm about 70 years old. And number two, um, do I want to continue to run? And I said, you know, I, I've got the energy, the drive, and the team to continue to lead this company. But I think we should ask that question in about a year and a half to two years. And I had a reason for that. And it was really that I had run the company since 2000. And we've had tremendous growth and a lot of opportunities. But at the same time, I felt it was time for me to look at some other things that I wanted to accomplish as well as the fact that my family had grown significantly and I had grandchildren in Atlanta. Um, I wanted to continue to stay involved in the company, but I felt it may be a good time to bring in new leadership to the company as we faced an opportunity to really significantly 
increase the size of the company um, through an acquisition. So um, that all happened in 2017. Um, and in fact, that we hired uh, Chris Downey to be president of the company. I retained the title of chairman for about a year. And when we did make the acquisition of Via West in Denver, double the size of the company. And I chose at that point <clears throat> to have their CEO, who was a close friend, take over the role as chairman because we were now splitting the company east and west. And I felt we needed executive presence at the top level out there as well as in Charlotte. So um, with that, I stepped aside from day to day and became strictly strategic and a board responsibility as well as to continue the opportunities that I found for us in the East, because, you know, you don't run a company for 17 years in the markets we were in and not developed a lot of a lot of great relationships and opportunities for our company to continue to grow. Um, in that regard, about a year later, we decided to leave Charlotte and we moved uh, into the country out near Athens, Georgia, which was where I was when we started the company in 2000. And uh, since then, I have been in Athens, continued to do a lot of business in Charlotte with Flexential. Our company changed the name to Flexential. I always make the comment that that's, that's a great name that people can't pronounce or don't understand, but that's what you get when you spend a half a million dollars with a branding company. Um, anyway, the company is well known for that as that name now. Yeah. But, but I, uh, I've continued to be involved in about a, anywhere from three to six companies in Charlotte, either in a board capacity or an advisor or mentoring capacity. So that's kind of gets, gets us to where we are now. So uh, you're, you're a board advisor um, and board member and grandfather. Exactly. Yeah. Grant, known as Grampy in my family now. So yeah. <laughs> good titles to have for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Well-deserved and well-earned. Thank you. Thank you. So, so, um, so you've been going along in, as, as, as that person for the last four or five years, right? COVID hits, everything kind of changes mm -hmm. a little bit, but you're still, um, you're still um, crampy. Um, you're still board advisor. You're still mentoring companies. You're doing different things. Yep. Um, and then last year comes and we hit towards the end of last year. And as we've talked about, you've had a, you know, significant, um, just kind of life-changing event last year is one of the reasons yeah. we're talking today. So yeah. just walk us through a little bit of that, um, if you don't mind, David. Sure. I guess I should preface that most people that know me that I'm a very active person athletically. Um, and I'm, I preface with that because it has a significant impact on what I went through. Um, by last year, um, pretty much all year, I had continued to run pretty much every day, cycle on the weekends. I'm part owner and a bike store in Athens and just extremely active, as well as we acquired about 15 acres um, of beautiful property. But I spend a lot, have always spent a lot of time outdoors. In fact, my wife would say, you know, Dave leaves, leaves the house at 6.30 or 7 in the morning. I don't see him again until about 5, even though he's somewhere on our property doing something on a tractor or whatever. But <clears throat> the reason I bring that up, is my physical condition is <clears throat> has always been extremely important to me, <clears throat> as well as my health. Have run, 
you know, 30 marathons and continue to run. So what is happened? That, is that real quick? Does that go back to military days or was that even before yeah, military days? No, no. It, the only place I ran when I was at UVA was to the cooler to get or a refrigerator to get a Pabst Blue Ribbon. So, um, no, after I finished Virginia, I was uh, ROTC, fortunately, because I would have been drafted uh, if not. And uh, I went to jump school and in jump school is when I really realized or getting ready for jump school. It's when I started running okay. and and I have continued on. And, you know, that was 1969 in that time period. So, yeah, it's, it's a long time. My a couple legs, days ago. Yeah. And as my doctor told me the other day, he said, you, you know what your middle name is? I said, what? He said, overuse. And I said, that's true. I'm, I'm very hard to stop when I get going in a direction. But um, so what happened, I was working in my yard and I caught the back of my right hand on a nail point that had come through a board. <clears throat> Didn't think anything about it. I left the next day for Dallas to a board meeting uh, with Flexential and my hand started swelling and got really red and really was bothering me. And we, I was talking to some guys there and we thought, you know, I must have broken a bone in my hand came back and it was, it was, it was torture and it was really hurting. And I went to my doctor the next morning and he, he looked at it, x-rayed it, gave me some meds and said, let's see what happens. Well, about four hours later, I called him. I said, this is getting bad. My forearm is swelling. Went to the emergency room in Athens, Piedmont Health. They looked at it, worked on it some there, and then eventually said, we've got to send you to Augusta, which is one of the nation's top pain and burn centers. And so they sent me down there. It's about 90 miles. They sent me down there. I don't remember much over the course of the next week, except that I went into very serious hallucinations, um, bad dreams, and eventually I blacked out. And my family said, you were, you didn't know anybody. You're, you were just thrashing, et cetera. It's a, it was a bad scene. Um, at that some point in there, I realized that I may not make it. And um, fortunately, I won't go into the details of that discussion with our with our God, but I had one. And next thing I knew, I was lying in the bed, intubated on a ventilator, but I was alive. And my doctor who saw me in Athens, I saw him again about two months ago. And he said, Dave, I never expected to see you again when I sent you to Augusta. The pe people with sepsis and toxic shock survival rate is, is very, very low. And uh, he said, you're a miracle. I said, you know, if I was not, goes back to the point, if I had not been in the physical shape I was in, I probably wouldn't have recovered. So over the course of about three, three months to four months, and I'm still not totally there, um, what happened, you know, with sepsis and toxic shock is all your blood moves to your core to protect your organs. And I lost function of my kidneys and my heart went into uh, fibrillation, et cetera. I recovered from all of that, which is to me somewhat of a miracle that I was able to, but I knew health wise, I knew I was getting better. And today, you know, here six months later, um, I'm very healthy. Um, again, my obsession with pushing myself, got me in trouble about a month ago, trying to run again when I was too soon and I tripped. And oh, by the way, I should add, 
in the early stages of this, they determined that they did have to amputate my hand and part of my forearm. And I'm in the process now of getting uh, prosthetics to learn that whole um, acceptance, I guess you'd say, of, of that. But I fell trying to run. My right arm is about a foot shorter than my left, so I couldn't catch myself. I landed on my right hip, got a hairline fracture in my hip. And here I think, uh, I think the Lord is saying, okay, if you're not going to slow down, I'm going to make you slow down. And uh, that's what's happened. So I've been, I won't say immobile because I'm back walking now on that hip, but um, not at a brisk pace by any stretch. But at the same time, William, I've continued to stay in touch with a ton of my friends and associates in Charlotte and Atlanta and here who have been watching and prayers and good wishes. And it's like I've been suspended um, on a wave that, that's just kept my spirits where they need to be. And obviously, if anyone has seen a couple of Facebook posts I put out there, you would know that I never lost a sense of humor about this. In fact, I said at one point when I came home from the hospital, the post was, I've always wanted to be a one-armed paper hanger. And everybody you know, got a, got a kick out of that. Meanwhile, um, the things I've thought about and have thought about since that, to be fairly simple about it, um, I've been a very successful person, very driven, created a company that had probably one of the most fantastic cultures you could ever imagine. If you ever run into anybody who was at peak 10 before we became a nationwide company, um, very successful uh, outcome there so far. Um, and I'm proud of that. I'm proud of the people that I had on my team, all of them. Um, and then getting through this challenge, a whole different challenge, but I'm, I'm overcoming it. And I know that I'm fighting the fight as, you know, one of the Bible verses, fight the good fight, finish the race, win the race and keep the faith. And that's kind of been for, in the forefront of my mind as I began to realize what I was capable of doing. And I believe that my mission now, my purpose now is to take this and convert it to help others, entrepreneurs and otherwise, um, realize that they probably haven't tapped into all of their potential and they really need to step back. <clears throat> and I shared this with you, to step back and look at what, a, what got them to where they are. What are the things they did in each phase of their career to enable them to be where they are? And how do you use that manifest to do more things? And that's where I'm headed. I've got more things I want to do. I've got a great opportunity, been given a great opportunity to continue looking and helping leaders achieve more things than they felt that they could, because that's what happened to me. I never would have imagined that I had the strength, the perseverance, the resiliency, and the bravery to overcome what I did. So let's um, let's stay there for a second, right, David? I mean, you built as as we know, you built with the assistance of a great team and everybody else, a phenomenal company here in Charlotte and across the country, right? Yeah. Um, you had, uh, I mean, what by all measures is a great career leading up to that as well, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. And learned a lot of lessons and drew on a lot of strengths and skill sets and um, an intellect and whatnot. 
But last year was, I mean, that you you don't spend much time in sepsis, sepsis shock, right? That's that was a that was a new one for you. So yeah. yeah. What what did you draw on from um from the business world and the startup world as you're laying there in the hospital, either before you kind of fall into it or coming out of it, right? Like what were the um what what got outside of God? And I realized that was um a key component of it, but like what are those conversations you're having with yourself about hey, this, 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 and this, right? Yeah, yeah. The um the thing that I believe I fell back to, which wasn't really a conscious thing of saying you did this, you did that. It was it was more of a realizing that the way I had become successful, the way I had achieved the things that I didn't even realize I had the capability of achieving was resiliency. Was never we hit, you know, in the company, I'll I'll never forget we would hit brick walls and where we were going. And I never backed away. I said, there's another way to solve this problem and we'll figure this out. We might, we might take a wrong turn, but we can straighten that out. And in my own looking at this, I said, you know, I'm not sure where I'm headed here. Um, and I would gather all the information I could have or which is have, which is typically how I've always done things and assess what directions can I go now? And even as simple as losing my hand, I said, I don't know where that's going to take me, but that's going to be a new world. A lot of people, by the way, as you know, losing what I lost physically would give up. They'd say, I'm never going to be able to function. And I never did. I said, I'll start recovering from this because I will tell you physically in a hospital and the situation I was in intubated for probably 10 days or so, which means you've got a tube down your throat. You can't eat. Um, I hated it. And I said, I've got to get myself physically together and, and push myself to get through this because nobody else is going to do it for me. I mean, I had the most unbelievable family support, my wife and son, way beyond anything that I could have ever imagined. But I knew that as I reflected back later, to accomplish what we were able to accomplish in the business world and with my career, it took all of my attention and it took my ability to draw on others to get from point A to point B. And I said, this isn't any different. I've got to get with these doctors and figure out what my options are, what my limitations are, and then what my, you know, how I overcome this. And I'm going to focus on that. And that's really what I did and where I saw it most, frankly, because I spent November and December, well, I'm, uh, two thirds of December, flat on my back in a bed, lost 35 pounds. And most of you who knew me before said, how could you lose 35 pounds? You only weigh 165 as it is. But what that did is I lost my, my muscle mass. And so when I came out of the hospital into rehab, I couldn't walk. And I was like, oh my gosh. And so I had to overcome that. And it was a step at the time and small victories. And we always talked about that in peak 10, you know, you know, we've got to focus on small victories. Yes. Yes. There is a goal out there, but you don't get there by trying to consume it all at one time. You've got to take the steps and you've got to learn from those steps and take that to the next level. And 
that's what I was trying to do personally, you know, with where, with my livelihood, I guess you'd say with my life, because I knew if I could get physically back where I needed to be, I was not losing anything mentally. Although a lot of people would probably say I lost a lot mentally a long time ago. I wasn't, I was still focused on, on business, on, you know, my family, my, all of that. Um, and that was the one thing that, you know, probably kept me, my sanity kept me there. And a lot of people would have a hard time dealing with the confinement, the, the, the negative things that hit you in the face. But I've read my body physically, and that was an important thing for me to rec- realize that I still had strength and I was a fighter and I was going to overcome this. And um, that was the thing to me is, ne- and it sounds like you know, a trite statement, never giving up. And at peak 10, we never gave up. We always, I was fortunate there that I had a leadership team, as I used to say, why if someone said, why have you been so successful with this team? I said, well, what I've been able to do, you know, leadership is obviously getting things done through others. I said, I put together a team that normally would not get along that well, but I'm able to make them realize that we have to play well in the sandbox together. And that it was all because of vision. So I'll translate that back. I had a vision of where I wanted to be, and I still do physically. Um, And the fact that I knew that I wanted to continue to be engaged in technology and entrepreneurship, because that's what drives me. I just, I feed off of that. And my anxiety right now is not having the ability to jump in my car and go to Charlotte or go to Atlanta because I do some mentoring there. Um, very frustrating, but the virtual world we're in has been gracious to me and that I'm able to use technology, even though I'm sitting out in rural Georgia, where until I <laughs> leveraged a relationship with the CEO of uh, the company that provides the local telephony here, um, got a one gig fiber connection about six months ago that <laughs> has allowed me to be real time again, which yeah. is great. But anyway, to go back to your question, it, it's not one thing. It's really marshalling your physical capabilities and being competent in that, which has always been important to me, but also recognizing your strengths in leadership. And not that's not an egotistical thing. It's a humility thing and realizing I'm really good at these things. I'm really good physically. My mental capacities are strong. I can overcome this. I don't know what the next chapter is exactly going to be like, but I know it's going to involve me helping other people understand their purpose and focusing on that. Because I think a lot of us don't really step back and say, you know, what's my real purpose here? I, I believe that mine is to pay it forward at this point. And that's this was like a, a doorstop in my career. You know, I said, oops, I can't go any further than this right now. And the fact that I don't, I'm not the CEO of a company. Uh, I don't want, really want to be that. I want to be strategic. And um, I want to be able to leverage what 40 years of business taught me. It's not, again, it's not something that I can beat my chest about, but I know we did some things right. And I know that if I can work with people, have them establish a trust that I know what I'm talking about, but I always will tell someone I'm mentoring, look, this is my advice on this, and it's based on where I've come from, 
But if it doesn't fit into what you're trying to accomplish or doesn't answer your question, it doesn't hurt my feelings. I mean, you've got to make your decisions and you're smart to get with people who have experience and leverage that. I read a book recently um, that was talking about how people who have successful careers uh, more often the ones who are successful leading companies and then you know they go out to pasture, if you will, and they're lost. And actually one of my board members gave me that book and because they knew how my mind worked. And I said, they asked if I read it. I said, yeah, I did. I enjoyed that book. But the one thing I realized as I read through it is I said, I don't have any questions about what's my purpose going forward. I don't look at the wall and say, what's next? I see huge opportunities ahead. So um, that's just my mentality, William. It's kind of how I have always looked at things. And um, I learned a lot uh, along the way. And I've tried always to leverage those. I'll give you a great example. Um, I always tell people I started Peak 10 as a result of a failure. I was fired uh, running some local telephone companies. And I disagreed with the chairman of the company and he actually was from that small town so he wasn't leaving <laughs> so i had to leave and that's when we moved to athens and um i went into consulting uh, with telephone companies and others into this thing called the internet and that was really to get the beginning of my recognition that data centers were going to matter um and from that point forward, my total focus, focus was on trying to figure out how we could leverage um, the technologies to provide a solution that customers would want to accept. Because back then, outsourcing to a data center, it wasn't really that well known of, a, of an opportunity. And what we did, we actually got maps of the states we were in, where the power uh, electric, where the power storms most frequently hit because he said, those are the companies that are going to go, we're going to lose power. So we need to talk to them about how we can solve that problem for them. But, you know, point being is that um, we were never satisfied with where we were. We knew that we could do more. The last point I'll make in that and why I was able, I think, able to establish a trust, we were finishing the first data center, which was in Jacksonville, Florida. And that night we were having a sort of, a, we were going to open it up, you know, grand opening the next day. And so we were getting ready to go to Jackson Jill's for some drinks with the team that was there. But I was still in the data center hanging cable tray. And um, one of the guys that he's still in the industry, but not with us, he walked in there and he looked up and he shook his head. And I said, John, what's wrong? And he said, I know I'm in the right company. When the guy who started the company is on a ladder in a tie hanging cable tray in the data center. And I said, you know, it, no one's going to do this stuff for you. If it needs to get done, you got you to roll your sleeves up and get there. So that has been sort of the moniker for me all along. Is I've told people in the company many times, I said, I can do any job in this company. And they'd look at me and I said, now, wait a minute, I didn't say I could do it well but I'm not afraid to do any job in this company. And that's the way you have to be. You've got to trust that we'll get there and believe in the vision. And that, that's what leadership was all about to me. I'm sorry, I got into a tangent there and I tend to do that as you know. <laughs> oh, you're, you're fine. I'm, um, I mean, great, great advice and wisdom and um, 
to to bring it back, David, earlier on in the conversation, you had said that one of the things you want to help leaders do, CEOs do, is fall back on what's gotten them to this point, right? Like how have their career, what have they learned throughout their careers? Yeah. And you've done that, right? And you shared it with me. So I've got this document sitting here in front of me and I've gone through it probably more than I should, but I've enjoyed reading (laughs) through it. Um, And one that lots of lessons here, we're not going to go through them all today. The one that kind of jumped off to me was um, lesson number four, which is um, as written down, it says culture, focus on the success of others and team, teamwork and trust pays off. And as as you read through and as you hear me say it out loud to the audience, most audiences probably going to sit here and say, well, that was at peak 10 and that wasn't at peak 10. That was actually mm-hmm. several stops prior to peak 10. Yeah. But that's almost like a, that's a, that's a CEO type of comment, right? Did you know yeah. then that you like, was that, no. I mean, you know, my question, right? Like when did you know that you were going to be a CEO? Right. I mean, cause, yeah. um, you were heading in that direction. You didn't realize it yet, but you were a stop or two away. It was much later. And quite frankly, the, and just for the benefit of the podcast, what I did after I hired Chris to take over as CEO, my, my private equity guys board sat down and they said, Dave, you need to leave the company now for 30 days. Don't come back. That was a shock for me. <laughs> But I got with our executive coach and we hired Chris in September. So it was late. It was November. Um, Had lunch with him and he said, how are you you doing? I said, I'm not happy. I'm kind of angry, to be honest. He said, why? And I said, because I feel like I've been kicked to the curb. But, you know, they want me to come back and be an advisor. But I have to be careful about that. And um, he said, Dave, you know, the thing you number one is you've built a successful company and that can never be taken away from you. And number two, think about what got you here. And that's when I sat down and I said, and this has been my advice um, since then, very straightforward to any leadership person or in, in any capacity about how can I continue going forward? And my point is I got to that, to this point of success somehow. So I said, what, what are the stops along the way? When I go all the way back to where I grew up, um, small town in Virginia, you know, Mayberry, almost a Mayberry type um, environment, um, a family that were not overly, um, didn't, didn't, met, uh, didn't met out a lot of praise about things. That was an expectation of them that you would do your very best and treat people fairly, that sort of thing. But then the uh, going to UVA, the military, going to um, the army in Vietnam, coming back, working for G- all the steps. And there were like seven or eight steps, typically that ran you know, more than five years, anywhere from seven to 18 years. And I stepped back and I said, what's the one thing that I believe I learned there? And as I thought about that, that's where the document you're referring to, I sat down and wrote them all down. And it came down to a very three basic things, which people know me, I think, in terms of triples. <laughs> and a lot of it was um, understanding people, 
And, and Maggie said this in your last podcast, which I smiled about, learning how to listen intensely to what's going on around you and what people are saying so you understand where they're coming from was a big deal for me. Um, that lesson you're referring to, no, I didn't, I didn't realize that until later. And it was actually when I got fired, which would have been the mid, mid-90s, 1990s. Um, and I was sort of on the outside looking in, trying to figure out what am I going to do. And one of the other executives uh, that I was really, two other executives are really close to, they said, Dave, when you look at what you created, you took a company of 100 people, reorganized them, and they will walk on water for you. And I looked at him, I said, what? He said, they trust you. And that's when I, and he said, this one, he was a CFO. He said, Dave, you need to start your own company. And I sort of laughed and I said, I don't know how to do that. Well, lo and behold, um, when I realized there was, there seemed to me to be an opportunity with data centers and it was like a telephone company, central office. Um, I went out, um, actually marshaled a friend of mine up in North Carolina that was in, had been in a similar circumstance and we put a business plan together and um, we had an attorney there in Charlotte as well as they found a CPA in Charlotte. And uh, they looked at the plan and they said, well, you got to go out and raise between one and $2 million. And we said, okay. And I went out to people I'd been in business with. And this was, a, this was a pivot for me. Um, who'd been on a, you know, advisory board of a company I'd been in, or I'd run into, um, I raised a million and a half dollars in about four weeks commitments. And I went back to our attorney and I said, okay, I've got a million and a half. His jaw dropped. I said, how did you do that? I said, I didn't burn a lot of bridges. Um, I, I, somehow I must have made an impression that I could be trusted. And that's how P10 got started. Actually founded on April 1st, <laughs> April Fool's Day of all days. But um, that's, how, that's how that got started. And when I looked back at the steps and the phases of my career, I realized that trust in, was an underpinning of everything I did. And I still believe that to be the case. You can't, you can't engender trust from your board or from your employees unless they know that you care about them. And I always make the comment, I said, you know, I've, I've had relationships with five private equity companies, you know, firms, and in every one of them, there's at least one of their partners that I am a close friend of today. And when you talk about, just off the subject a little bit, when you talk about private equity, you always get this bad impression of all they care about is um, turning the company around, losing jobs and all that sort of stuff. And I never had that experience, but I go back to the point. I realized from being fired that I had to develop a close relationship with the people that I reported to. And I had to understand what pressures they're under because I didn't recognize that before. And as a result of that, I have a personal relationship with five private equity firms that call me still, ask me questions about certain companies or certain industry sectors that they know I have some knowledge about. And that's, 
that's a huge reward for me. There's no money in that. It's just a huge reward in saying my knowledge is important to some people and what I committed my life to for 40 years, uh, that's the benefit. And my purpose is to try to help in that regard. And it's a little bit of motherhood and apple pie. And I use that statement a lot because there's, it's just what drives me is to figure out how I can help others step back through. When I can understand how they believe they got to where they are, it helps me understand where I may be able to give them some advice. Uh, whether or not they take it is up to them. But at the same time, even, I mean, it carries forward, not just in business, but in my personal life with my family, um, it just, just across the board is being open and unafraid to expose yourself. Yeah. So um, I love that. So um, I'm going to read it real quick. Lesson number seven, manage up or you will not succeed, right? That's a great yep, lesson. That was it. That yeah. was the one. <laughs> so um, uh, if I do my math right, based on the sheet that you sent over with your lessons from you know stage to stage and, and whatnot, you were give or take 50 years old when you started Peak 10, right? I was 50. Yeah, yeah. I was. Yeah. So um, you'd accumulated knowledge um, life lessons, business lessons, and skills along the way. Um, and you talk to a lot of founders these days and mentor mm -hmm. companies and, and whatnot. And not all of those founders have 50 years or sorry, well, 50 years. Yeah. But 28 years of business experience. Right. So, um, how, what do you say to those founders that are drawing on less experience, less knowledge, less, less developed skill sets mm -hmm. as they drive their companies forward? Well, the first thing I try to do is understand what their philosophy is. You know, how do they, how do they manage? How do they, um, how do they intend to get to the next stage of their company? And I'll, I'll often the question is, I've used this term before, I've had a roadblock. It might be with people. It might be, typically it's about raising money. And um, what I've been able to do with a lot of them is to help them put together their pitch deck, if you will, and understand where they are and understand where their gaps are. Um, in fact, there's probably two companies I'm working with right now that will not, I don't think will survive, but I'll yet, was very interested in their business approach because it wasn't something I understood. And I told them that I said, this, if you ask me exactly what you do, I'm still having a hard time figuring that out, but I understand what your challenges are. And if it's around raising money, um, you, you know, you, you've got to approach it this way, a step at the time to get there. You, you really need to show there's a revenue stream that, you know, how you're going to build this is, is a big piece of it. Um, but a lot of it, what I fall back on is um, how well they're able to present themselves in a, I won't say conservative, but in a business manner, as opposed, as opposed to being just fired up about what their opportunity, their technology is, and not really having the foundation that they need to have. And that's what I try to do is go back to what's the foundation of the company? What is it that's going to attract the talent you're going to need to run this company because you've only got a you know, handful of employees now and you, you can't do it that way. You're going to have to build and create a, a business structure that supports 
the strategy um, and you you can't get structure because that happens a lot people i'm going to you know build around will hire these people if you don't have a very solid strategy it doesn't matter what your structure is and that's an old adage of structure follows strategy and that's probably one of the most basic things i look at when a company's talking to me you know what what are the weaknesses in the strategy that you're intending to employ because if that is not doesn't hit on all cylinders you're not going to be able to build the organization on that but recognize it's going to change it'll get you from here to the next five years but if you're not thinking along the way of what you have to do to change and have that term resiliency and being able to convince your team that you're going to change i used to always say in peak 10 do you to uh, talk to an employee or a leader a manager do you like where we are? I love where we are as a company. I said, well, I'm sorry. And they'll look at me like, what do you mean? It's not going to stay that way. It's going to change. You know, people get caught up in the gears of change and often they don't come out the other side of that machine, but that has to be the way it is. And if you are a individual contributor and your leadership doesn't really, in that company doesn't really understand individual contributor, how they function, you won't make it. Um, and I saw a lot of that. And what you do, and that's something I talk about a lot, is you understand that people are some are strange animals and you don't want to put people in a bucket. But having been around, you know, we had 400 people at peak 10 when I stepped out. We have about a thousand now. And one thing I watch closely that you don't have the advantage of when you're early stage is the HR focus the strategy around human resources, retention, all those things that you can, some of them you control, some of you can't control. But looking at how those employees believe and where you're headed as a company, but also recognize the opportunities are gonna come as this company grows and it's gonna change. Prime example was Peak 10 merging with Via West. If I look at the company today, very few of the leaders I had with me um, five years ago are there today. And I've talked to a number of former employees in Charlotte and they'd say, you know, the company's just not the same, it's changed. And I look at them and I said, I've said all along, it's never gonna stay the same. And if it's not where you're happy, and that was one of the lessons that you saw, if you're not where you're happy, you need to go somewhere else because you're not gonna be able to change where the company's headed unless you get on board with it. And if you can't get on board, get out, go do something else. I did that when I actually, you know, probably one of the few people who had success as an entrepreneur who started out at one point as a regulator, because of all things, I, I was on the regulatory staff in Virginia regulating telephone companies. But in that organization, there was a guy ahead of me and I would never, and I was at bumping, I was bumping my head on the ceiling of the cup where I was. And when I left, he said, Dave, I'm really happy for you because you were not going to be happy here. You have a lot more that you can accomplish. And that was my first venture as an entrepreneur in a startup long distance company way, way back in the you know, mid eighties. But um, anyway, you know, that's what I try to do is look at what, what are the steps that got them there? How have they been successful or failed? And what did you learn from that? Because if you can't use that, 
That's a waste. It, yeah. it is who you are. It makes you who you are. So you're right about that. So um, I'm a, I'm a pick on you for a second. I'm going to go in a direction I hadn't um, planned on going. You've, <laughs> you've mentioned failure, firing, um, failure again, um, brick walls. You've mentioned failure more on this podcast than the 149 <laughs> guests before you have mentioned in totality, right? Like yeah. how do you embrace failure? I mean, um, is that part of your upbringing that you embrace it or is that just, uh, life lessons? But I mean, you just, you've, again, you've embraced it more than anybody before you on this podcast has for sure. It has, I think, William, that's, that's a deep question. I hadn't really, no one's ever pointed that out to me. No one had ever told me you're a failure <laughs> other, than, other than when I got fired. But um, I certainly and, didn't mean to accuse you of being a failure. <laughs> I, I know you didn't, but you know, I, I look at that and say, it's about where's your heart? You know, you may have made a mistake. You could call it a failure, but if your drive and your heart is in the right place, you will turn that around and say, and now you read that a lot where failure is an opportunity to learn a lesson. Well, a lot of people don't look at it that way. And a lot of people look at it as failure and they, you know, they kick the can down the road. I don't do that. I don't expect to be successful in everything I do, but I do expect, and this goes back, I think, to the family I grew up in. I do expect to rebound from it and build a better scenario, for lack of a, a way, better way to put it. Um, I think failure is part of the road we travel in life. I mean, look at what happened to me seven months ago. That's not what I would call failure, but it is a failure. I mean, I almost failed the, in the worst kind of way, but I've turned that around and said, this is an opportunity for me to do a lot more things than I ever imagined I would be capable of doing, which is very different from losing a job because I didn't communicate well enough with the leadership of the company. They're, they're small, I said, use the term small victories. How you overcome the defeats is through small victories and recognizing that I didn't do this right or that didn't turn out the way we wanted it to, but I'm not going to throw in the towel. If I still believe there's an opportunity, and I'm particularly in my case, if I got a team that believes in me, then it's up to me to change the direction and improve where we are as a company. And I think if you went back, and I gave you a list of the probably 10 executives that I started Peak 10 with. Every one of them would say, we never gave up. You know, Dave was always the one who said, let's figure this out. And I need every one of you with the strengths you have to help us be successful. Because if I try to do it all myself, even though I commit that I could do any job in the company, when I said I wouldn't be able to do it well, that means I probably would fail at it, but I'm not afraid to try. And that kind of goes back to the core of me. I don't have a fear of trying. And a lot of people are apprehensive about things like that. One of the guys that worked for me in Richmond way, way back in the long distance business, he said, Dave, you don't say a lot, but when you do, you have really thought about what you're gonna say. And I said, yeah, and that's not often interpreted as being on the ball, I guess you'd say, because I, I will, I keep my mouth shut until I believe that I can contribute. And that doesn't always turn out the right way, 
but I've never been afraid. If I, I don't have a fear of standing up to something as long as I understand the pros and cons. What's the risk? And typically the successes have led to a risk assessment on my part that said, well, now I know what's going to happen if we don't hit this number, but how do we break this down? You know, how do we get to where we need to go? And I always would use the trite old term. I said, the fastest way from point A to point B is not always a straight line. Sometimes you have to take curves or angles to get there and take those victories and build to where you want to go. I don't know if yeah. that answers that comment, but yeah, that's, I don't, I guess, uh, William, I don't view them so much as failures as missed opportunities and how you, uh, how you leverage that as you go yeah. forward. Um, that's what makes things interesting though. If every, if everything you did was right, it wouldn't be a lot of fun. No, you wouldn't sure. learn a lot. <laughs> I'm not that smart. Put it yeah. That way. Yo, you're uh, then I'm then you're in good company then, right? Yeah. Um, so it's funny. I've got a um, I started building a garage gym uh, five or six years ago downstairs in my garage just to yeah. be able to work out rather than have to go yeah. someplace else. Yeah. Um, and my neighbor came over and he started working out with me, and he bought me a whiteboard so that we could write down stuff on the on the whiteboard, like our workouts and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and at one point, um, a couple of years ago. Um, I wrote down and it's on the top of the whiteboard, failure creates strength. Um, right. Yep. Cause in your yep. workout mode, you want to hit failure. And so my son will walk outside sometimes and, um, and he'll see it and he'll laugh at me and whatnot. And he's 13. Um, but now it's just, it's constant. Anytime he's up against that brick wall, um, I'll always say, what does the sign say? And he said, failure creates strength. Right. And I said, I think you're exactly yeah. right. So you've got to, you don't have to fail in order to succeed, but failing yeah, yeah. certainly can, um, aid in it. Right. Yeah. 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 It's not a, you, your effort when you start out is just, let's say I'm going to fail here and here, and here. <laughs> no, it doesn't work that way, but you, you go down a path thinking that you're doing the right thing. And unfortunately, life doesn't work that way. Um, it just, there are things that you call them externalities, I guess, that you can't control. And it's how you address those that determines where your strength is. Yeah. You yeah. So crazy enough, David, as it always happens, we're coming up on time. And so as we come yep. up on time, I'm going to, um, I'm going to yank from the, the <laughs> ultimate message that you have on your, uh, David Jones's message sheets. Um, and it's from a, um, it's from a, a song, you know, um, say a brother <laughs> song, right? Yeah. Um, it says, it says life ain't forever and launch isn't free. Um, turns out we don't get to know everything. What does that mean to you? Well, yeah, I, I've used that a lot <clears throat> and always did it. That song is called, it, the name of it is called the Smithsonian. Yeah. And that's what that uh, is for. Um, I, I didn't pick that out before I went through what I did uh, physically uh, yeah, back at seven months ago. But it's no could never have been a truer statement that life ain't forever. What I realized later was life is very fragile. And from my perspective, and that's an easy thing to say, but I experienced that. But life ain't forever means you have to keep pushing forward. You, you know, you, 
you don't sit there and think about, well, how many more years do I have to live, et cetera? At least you shouldn't. But you know that it's that you're not going to be here forever. So how do you how do you do the very best you can with your life? That's what that means to me. Lunch isn't free means that you pay for where you you have to pay your way. You have to commit yourself. It's not a dollar and cents thing. It's your soul. You know, do you understand where your soul is? And you're going to have to give up some things to get to where you want to get to. So it's not, nothing is free from that perspective. We don't get to know everything. I always laugh about that because I use that a lot when I'm around people that seem to think they do know everything. And I keep that in the, where I keep quiet about it, I keep it in the back of my mind and says, nobody, you don't get to know everything. And I don't get to know everything. But the only way you get smarter is how you leverage the people around you and you learn from the strengths that you see in them. And that's kind of philosophical, but that's really, as I loved that lyric, I began to try to put the pieces together and say, what does it mean to me? Yeah. And then the, the other thing, which I mentioned as we started out that I ran across, actually it was a quote from Tony Bennett, who everybody should know is the most famous basketball coach we have up at UVA. Um, when Terry Holland, who was another coach there for a long time. And if you follow ACC backs basketball, you would know Holland. Holland's, you know, you often used this thing out of this comment out of second Corinthians. that said, um, fight the good fight, finish the race, keep the faith. And then when I look at what I've gone through the last six or seven months, I can't help but think about that because I have fought that fight and I'm still fighting it and I'm going to win. Um, the race could mean a lot of things to me. I've run a lot of races and talk about success. Yeah, I was a very successful marathoner. So I've won that race, but this is a different race right now um, and keeping the faith. If you don't keep the faith and however you want to interpret that, whether it's you know a religious faith in God or faith in yourself, for me, it's both. I have a lot of faith in what I'm capable of doing, but I don't have to declare that to anyone. I just have to show it. And if you don't show it, you won't develop trust. Yeah. So, well, um, I don't know, David, that was a fantastic time. I mean, thank you for, you know, we might not know everything, but we sure did learn a lot from you today. So oh, well, thank you. Thank I, you appreciate you setting aside the time to talk with us about your experience recently and kind of how that interweaves into your experiences over the course of the uh, few years um, prior to that as well. I mean, it was a, um, a great, great fun conversation and um, certainly glad you're on the mend and as you said, yep. um, ready to succeed. So thanks for being our 150th podcast guest today. Dan. Right. It was a, a lot of fun. Yeah. I couldn't have thought of a better way to have done it. Well, let me give you one last paid political announcement, although it's not paid political. <laughs> one, thing that, one thing that early stage in Charlotte when I started the company is I became very engaged in the entrepreneurial community there. And I continue to have the highest level of regard of how Charlotte has continued to drive the entrepreneurial ecosystem. It's been hard. And we started out with um, a couple of organizations that, that got us off the ground. And today, when you look at Innovate Charlotte and a lot of other things that are going on in Charlotte, a lot of the, the 
different ways things were coming together. It's very stratified. It, you're beginning, I'm beginning to see a lot more concentration around success for entrepreneurs. And your podcasts do a lot for that. They're extremely valuable in terms of lessons learned. And I, I just appreciate the opportunity to share some thoughts, um, but I'm continuing to be totally dedicated to entrepreneurial growth and the ecosystem in Charlotte. Yeah, well, I know um, appreciate your involvement and support too. So thanks for all that you've done and continue to do. Thank you, William. Thanks so much. Registration does not imply a certain level of skill or training. Opinions expressed on this program do not necessarily reflect those of Portis Wealth Advisors. The topics discussed and the opinions given are not intended to address the specific needs of any listener. Portis Wealth Advisors does not offer legal or tax advice. Listeners are encouraged to discuss their financial needs with the appropriate professional regarding your individual circumstance. Investments described herein may be speculative and may involve a substantial risk of loss. Interest may be offered only to persons who qualified as accredited investors under applicable state and federal regulation or an eligible employee of the management company. There generally is no public market for the interest. Prospective investors should particularly note that many factors affect performance, including changes in the market conditions and interest rates and other economic, political, or financial developments. Past performance is not and should not be construed as indicative of future results.